You're listening to a teaching from Vintage Church LA. This week we're hearing from lead pastor Gare Jones. I get accused by my family of turning my prayers into sermons, so forgive me if I sometimes go on. But let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, a familiar passage where Jesus takes his disciples, three of his disciples, up a mountain, and they encounter him in a very profound way. Luke chapter 9, it's on the screen. We're going to begin in verse 28. About eight days after Jesus had said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. (laughs) While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. The Christian life throughout the Bible throughout the life of Jesus is described in two zones, two seasons. Valleys, where we live the majority of our life, just walking through the valleys of life and mountaintops. Every now and again, Jesus withdrew to a mountain or took his disciples up a mountain where they would have deep, profound encounters with God. The Christian life is mostly in the valley, but interspersed with these mountaintop experiences. 
They're called mountaintop experiences because throughout the Bible, this is where God often meets people in profound, breakthrough, interruptive kind of ways. That, ex- that phrase, mountaintop experience, has spilled over into popular culture, but it's based on the great stories of the Bible where Moses, Elijah, the people of Israel, and here Jesus himself and his disciples went up a mountain and experienced God in a profound way. The Christian life is to journey through both valleys and climb up mountains. Something happens on the mountain that we need for the valley. And that's why throughout my life and throughout the life of vintage, we have put in place calendar items that are to be these focused mountaintop experiences. That in our own life, myself and my family, we have always gone, let's have moments in our annual calendar when we metaphorically climb the mountain with Jesus and have an interruptive time, a a break from the valley, that we actually step out from our routine, that we actually go to to Jesus. We want, we need to spend time with you in a a mountaintop type experience. And so our kids in particular, we would put in place two or three moments throughout the year that we would get out and go on a camp or go to a church retreat or do something that we could join Jesus in a mountaintop kind of way. And that's why every year since Vintage began, we as a community sense that we, 51 Sundays of the year, we're walking through the valley. One Sunday, we're going to go up the mountain. We're going to take time out. And we're going to focus, which is why it's called focus. We're going to focus on joining Jesus in this kind of mountaintop way that we experience something, that we draw close to God in some way, that he does something in our lives that doesn't ordinarily happen in the valley, but we need it to then go back to the valley for the 51 other weeks of the year. This morning, I'm going to talk about what it means for us to go up the mountain next week and an invitation to start walking now, to start making that slow climb today. I grew up with these moments. I I grew up in a family where my father was a pastor, and we would gather as churches, like a denomination, a community, a network of churches. We would gather every every summer for a whole week from Sunday night to Saturday night, we would all gather together in a field, multiple fields in rainy England to climb the mountain with Jesus. It grew and grew and grew that in its heyday, there were 10,000 people coming to camp. It way, went way beyond a church retreat. And it spilled over into these mountaintop experiences. I remember my calendar was anchored around these weeks. They were rather uncreatively called Bible weeks. But a Bible week was a time where we would get out of our routine, get out of the valley and go, Jesus, I need a breakthrough. I need to see you clearly. I need reorientation. I need to meet with you. We got so big over the summer that we then did two weeks back to back. 
And it was my job and my joy, uh, even at 16, 17, 18, to even take a week off beforehand to set up these fields for 10,000 people about to arrive. That we would have to build this village from scratch to prepare for all these people. Hungry, thirsting for a deeper encounter with Jesus. I remember at 18, we'd have to our huge, huge tents for thousands of people, and we'd have to get chairs from somewhere. So I remember once I had the best summer for two weeks prior to this camp. They gave me, at 18 years old, an 18-wheeler truck to drive around the local community to all these different schools and put in the back all their chairs. Because we needed 10,000 chairs. That so we would lay the table for people to come and encounter Jesus. Next week, when we go up to focus, is our visible and physical outworking of a thirst and a hunger from our people saying, Jesus, we need to meet with you. We want to join Jesus. Like Peter, James, and John went up the mountain and had a profound encounter with God that would change the rest of our lives, so we annually need to take time out to say, Jesus, take me up the mountain. I'm not meant to live in the valley all year long. The mountaintop experience is where we find Jesus gives us a fresh encounter of himself. A fresh encounter of himself. It says in verse 29, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Shazam. It's on the mountaintop that Jesus reveals his glory. It's in those moments where we take time and set it aside, where we go, Jesus, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to climb up the mountain because I want to see you in a new way. I want to see you in a deeper way. See, the disciples up until this moment were still trying to wonder, who is this guy? He can heal the sick. He can cast out demons. He says all this kind of crazy stuff. Who is this guy? Like everyone else is saying he's just a teacher, he's a wise man, he's a prophet, he's, he's nobody, he's from Nazareth. But there's something about this guy that seems different. And it was on the mountaintop that suddenly Jesus gives a glimpse into the reality of who he is. His face starts to change. His clothes become radiant like lightning. Suddenly, the, the human flesh is peeled back that they can see him for who he really is. It reminds me of that incredible 1980s movie, Cocoon. Who's seen Cocoon? Come on. Those of us about to retire, we've all seen it, I know. <laughs> but Cocoon is Ron, a Ron Howard movie and it's amazing, but for those who don't know, aliens come to Earth to rescue other aliens who've been buried a long time in Earth. There's a longer story there. But anyway, aliens come to Earth, but they don't want to shock anyone, so they disguise themselves as humans, living next to a retirement community in Florida. It's incredible. And, <laughs> but anyway, at one point in the movie, some people start to guess, hang on a minute, you're not quite who you say you are. And one of them kind of discovers, and they're not quite sure. And they're guessing who these 
people are because they're not quite human in the same way that they're used to. And all of a sudden, the, the lead actor comes along and he just basically, to one of the real humans, he comes up to him and says, look, and pulls down his eye and a beam of lightning, kind of flame of alien glory <laughs> beams out. This is the moment Jesus does his cocoon. I don't know about you, but in the battles, in the stresses, in the opposition of life in LA, I can sometimes kind of go, oh Jesus, I need another cocoon moment. I need you just to blind me with your glory. I need you in the face of opposition, in the face of my challenges, in the face of confusion, in the face of this sickness, in the face of this grief, in the face of these challenges, I need to see your glory. Because when we see his glory, it changes everything. It's like, oh my gosh, I now know who's with me. The one who says that I will never leave me is the one I've seen his glory. I don't fear anything because I know the one who's with me, I've seen his glory. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know he's going to guide me. And I know the one who guides me is the one capable of guiding me because I've seen his glory. I don't know my marriage, man, it's, it's on the rocks, but I don't know what's going to fix it. But I know that when I pray, he says he'll help me. And the one I pray to, I know he's going to help us because I've seen his glory. I don't know about my kids and they seem to be going all over the place and there's raising kids in the city, it's crazy. Oh Lord, how on earth are we going to do this? Lord, we need help. But faith arises because we know the one who helps is the one who we've seen his glory. I don't know about you, but life in the valley is filled with faith and hope when I've seen his glory on the mountaintop. I remember in my own life experiencing joy and endurance and sustenance throughout the year because in these weeks in the summer, I encountered his glory. Sometimes in my own kind of relationship with God and sometimes just witnessing things. I remember witnessing amazing healings. I mean, ridiculous ones and going, okay, that's a game changer. I remember seeing other people commit themselves to God in a radical way because they had a, a dream or a visitation and they reoriented their life around Jesus because of an encounter with him. I go, okay, that's a game changer. I remember in my own life, there were moments which thrust me into an encounter with Jesus, but one in particular set my life on a new trajectory. I was around 17, I can't remember quite how old, but I knew I wasn't supposed to be in the adult main sessions because I was a teenager, supposed to be in the youth. Um, but for some reason I didn't want to be in the youth, probably because I was a teenager. And, and I snuck into the main adult room, and there's like 10,000 people there, and I snuck into the back hoping I wouldn't get busted, and just sat in the back. And unusually, for this type of event, there was... It was a time of worship, but they were singing a song that was unusual. I was raised in a kind of pep rally Christianity. All the songs were high steroid, right? And, and yet at this point, they were singing this old classic hymn that I'd sung in school. I'd gone to kind of Hogwarts growing up, and it was very traditional. So I'd sang lots of hymns in school. And I remember walking in, and this song they were singing 
When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Something happened when they sang, when I survey the wondrous cross. It felt like in my spirit I was catapulted to the foot of the cross. And I closed my eyes and it felt all I could see in my mind's eye was Jesus hanging on the cross and myself kneeling before him and thinking when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died and all I could sense right now and right then in that moment, right now and right here and he is there because of me. That is because of what I've done, it's because of my lostness, it's because of my brokenness, it's because of my turning away from God that he has come and died for me. I remember each verse rolling through and tears starting to fill my eyes as I looked at Jesus on the cross for me. And then it came to these words at the end, and I knew my life was forever changed, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. I knew at that moment I was all in for Jesus. You know my story, I went up and down. But this became an anchor for my life. It's the same anchor that Peter had after that mountaintop experience. See, Peter then found Jesus in the valley, saw Jesus on the cross, and then had to live out this apostolic ministry in great opposition. But it was what he experienced on the mountaintop that became an anchor in his life. That in opposition, in trial, when he's suffering in the valley, he writes a letter called, we call it Second Peter. And when he's under threat and being doubted by people, when he's on trial, when he's facing persecution, he writes this, he says, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his glory. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Do you wanna go up the mountain with Jesus? Do you want to have these moments that become anchors to your faith in the valley? It's not only revelations of Jesus, but the disciples up there were reoriented around the purposes of God in their generation. See, living in the valley, living in Los Angeles can be disorienting. It can be disorienting because there's a definite story of what it means to live in this city which can get so overwhelming and so busy we can barely think about anything else. 
I don't know about you, but I wake up in the morning and I go for a walk with my dogs and it takes me a while to click into the story of God because I'm just thinking about kids, bills, schools, uh, restaurants, vacation, church, etc., etc. There is so much going on in our city that the story of this city becomes the story of our lives. And suddenly the things of God and how he's weaving our lives into the great purposes of God and how all of these things are good but they've got a greater context in the story of God kind of gets forgotten because we're so busy in the here and the now. The valley can be disorienting. It can be blinding. And slowly we pull away, we pull back from the reason that we were created, the reason that God even brought us to LA in the first place or bored you here in the first place. And we get busy splashing around in this, the pools of life rather than swimming in the great ocean of his purposes. But this is what the mountaintop can do. It can take us out of the smaller stories of life and awaken us once again to what God is doing in our generation, in our city, in this cultural moment. See, in verse 30, Peter, James, and John saw two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. And they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Moses and Elijah. These are two men in the Old Testament who had carried forward the purposes of God, carried forward in their generation the great story of God to renew all things, to push back sin and Satan and restore what all those things had lost. They had pushed forward those purposes of God. And in fact, two stories in the Old Testament in Kings and in Exodus of these two men themselves discovering God on a mountain being lost in a glory cloud with him. And now, in their cultural moment, in their time and city, these three disciples are seeing the past purposes of God meet the present purposes of God, talking about the future purposes of God. You know, two great heroes who refused to waste their life on the humdrum of their moment, but push into the presence of God, now meeting with Jesus, the one who they met on the mountain, is now with them on the mountain, talking about God himself about to redeem humanity on the cross. I think that would shape your life. I think that would mean you go back into the valley and realize that all these little things that were stressing you out or busying you take a different complexion. Oh my, oh my gosh. I just didn't come to LA for this or for that. God has brought me to play my part in his purposes in this city, in this cultural moment, to see his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I remember at one of these Bible weeks, I was amazed, I was actually quite young, maybe 13, 14. But there's about 10,000 people there, and at the front they were talking about planting, starting new churches in Scotland. And because all of the churches were mainly in England, and a prophetic word had come that we should start some new churches in Scotland. It's a very heathen country. And 
And I remember at the start of the week, they threw out this challenge. They said, we want to, you all to pray. We want you all to pray because we, we want to raise a team to go. And we believe, we're believing for 20 families. 20 families to uproot, relocate, get new jobs, and join us as missionaries in Scotland. Now, I was thinking at the time, who would ever do that? <laughs> I mean, Scotland's nice and everything, but who would like give up their jobs, take the kids out of school, kind of l- leave their friends and family behind, and relocate? Like, move. Like, relocate from England to Scotland and all the rain and all that kind of stuff up there. It just like, seemed like, who would do stuff? Who, who would inconvenience themselves that much? Who would sacrifice that much? I remember on the last night of the week, they said, we've been praying that God would call. So if you've been called, stand up. and accept the invitation from Jesus. And I was thinking, this is really embarrassing because no one's gonna stand up. (laughs) And across the room, families would stand up together, holding hands, that throughout this week, God had called them, spoken to them, directed them into his purposes for their life in their cultural moment. See, there's something about the mountaintop where we draw close to God, where we take time to attune to his presence, that many of us will sense the heartbeat of God wooing us into his purposes. It could be back in LA, and I hope all of us it is. But even in Los Angeles, you'll hear the call of God directing calling, wooing, because primarily he takes you up the mountain to pull his team together that we may come down the mountain and outwork his plan in the world. Reorientation. And finally, preparation. There's nothing like heading up to the mountain to be prepared for the next season in the valley. The disciples were up there, and it's incredible. It says in verse 34, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from heaven saying, this is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. So God is doing something with Peter, James, and John up there. He's saying, listen to this guy. Listen, listen. Like something's about to happen in the valley that you need to listen to him. And so they go back to the valley and immediately they're met by a crowd. They're met by this demonic uh, attack which they deal with. But then in verse 34, or 44, four, verse 44, Jesus gets his disciples together and he begins with this. Now listen. I'm about to be handed over to be betrayed and delivered into the hands of men. Do you see, on the mountaintop, the disciples were were reminded to listen. And then in the valley, Jesus said, hey, that's why God said that to you, because listen. 
This is gonna be disorienting. This is gonna be problematic. This is gonna be difficult. But you're gonna remember what God the Father said when I start to do what I'm gonna do. And you needed to hear that for what's about to happen. Listen. See, mountaintop experiences are not optional extras. They're not just kind of nice to haves. They're not just kind of, well, if I've got time, if I can afford it, you know, if nothing else is going on, you know, or I'm bored. See, God huddles his community. He brings them together into his presence and he will give you He will give you a greater filling of his spirit. He will give you instructions. He will give you warnings. He will give you rebukes. He will give you corrections. He will give you wisdom. He will give you knowledge because he's said, look, I know what's about to happen. And trust me, you need a huddle so I can prepare you for what's coming. See, mountaintop experiences are not just warm and fuzzies. They're essential preparations for what is about to come. The mountaintop, that's why we do focus. I can wax lyrical all week about you're gonna find friends, which you will. You're gonna have fun, which you will. You're gonna probably be lining up to overcrowded bathrooms, which you will. (laughs) But you know what? It says that disciples were sleepy when they got to the top of the mountain. That's because it was hard work. It was inconvenient. It was difficult. It was not probably what they wanted to do. But they came down the mountain saying it was worth every sweat of effort. And something about the hardship prepares our heart in hunger for what God is about to do. I don't know what he's gonna do in your life, but I know when we come with faith and expectation, he will meet with you. It could be through a relationship, it could be through a moment of prayer, it could be in the time of worship, it could be you never know, once in a while it could be through one of my sermons, you never know. (laughs) Miracles happen. (laughs) Could be through our great guest speakers, more likely. But all of that is the doorway to meeting with Jesus. We're designing the whole weekend for you to encounter Jesus. And I'm gonna invite you now to do three things this week to prepare for focus. I'm actually gonna say focus begins now because now is our metaphorical climbing up the mountain these next few days. If you're not coming to focus, I get it, because you've got things you can't change or whatever, then join us in praying for all the rest of us who are going up. First of all, I invite you this week to pray. And pray specifically one thing. God, what do you want to do with me at focus? And secondly, what do I need from you for focus? It's that great balance in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, give me my daily bread. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Tune in to your heart. Tune in to his heart. And just start to soak this week with those simple prayers. God, what am I hoping for from, in an encounter with you? And God, what do you have for me? 
Secondly, confess. Confess. It says in Psalm 24, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Whenever I meet with God, there's always two things going on. I always get close to God and realize, oh my gosh, I need to repent. That always is the case, because I'm constantly sinning. I don't know about you. I mean, the Bible tells me I'm constantly sinning, by the way, just in case you're going, oh my word, my pastor's constantly singing. Well, (laughs) sinning, well, so are you. Um, (laughs) But here's the thing. I don't want to waste time at focus for a day and a half kind of getting right with God. I want to at now. I think that's why Jesus like, where they're climbing the mountain. Okay, let's get all the stuff out, right? Let's come before him in confession. Lord, what is it in my life that is maybe pulling me away from you right now? You see, in Christ we're accepted, but, in, but that doesn't mean we can't break God's heart with our behavior. And you know, in any relationship, when you hurt the other, there's distance. I mean, I do it all the time. I'm married. I do it all the time. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I've done something. But, and then there's restoration of in, in, intimacy. It's what, what Moses, remember Moses and the burning bush? The first thing God said, whoa, 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 whoa. Take off your shoes, bro. You're on holy ground. Why don't this week we kind of metaphorically take off our shoes? and go, you know what? I need to get right with you. I don't want to spend the first two days of focus getting right with you. I want to get right with you this week. And confess. It says in 1 John, we just plead the blood of Jesus, right? It says in 1 John, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So this week, come before him, I need to get right with you. So that I approach on Friday expectant and excited and tuned in to your presence. And then finally, the four-letter word that we dread, fast. Ooh, (laughs) fast. I'm gonna invite us all to fast this week. What is fasting? Well, it's to go without food in order to give yourself fully to God and stirring up a hunger in your life for more of him. It's not abstinence, it's not giving up social media, which you should do anyway. It's not about giving up other things. It's actually about food itself. Because there's a link, this glorious link in scripture between physical food and the food of life. And once you, if you take a break from physical food in a healthy way, then it stirs up spiritual hunger for the food of Jesus. It amplifies our prayers. It uses our body to yearn. In our bodies as I'm yearning for food, it stirs up the soul to yearn for Jesus. It prepares our hearts that we come hungry and thirsty for more of him. So I'm gonna invite you to join me in fasting this week. What does that mean? Well, 
Pick a day or a number of days, whatever is right for you, and choose to go without food for a certain time. Maybe a midnight to 6 a.m., something like that for some of us. No. It's choose when you would otherwise ordinarily be eating. So for me, I'm this week, I'm going to choose three days to not eat until dinner time. That's just healthy. I'm not doing this for weight loss to look buff at focus. That would take a lot longer. But I'm doing this to tune my heart to him. And so maybe you could join me. It's simply for this reason. Jesus, we want to meet you on the mountaintop. And we're going to begin that journey now with communion. Literally, focus begins at this time as we attune our hearts to him. As we take communion, let this be a line in the sand of going, as I leave now, I'm going to start that steady climb up the mountain because I'm hungering for Jesus. Let's stand together. If you have your communion kit. I don't know if we have the liturgy on the screen. Let us say together, the Lord is here. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let's close our eyes as I lead us through this. Father, accept our praise this morning and through your son Jesus, grant that the power of your Holy Spirit may come in this moment as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup. Come Holy Spirit. From the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And he gave thanks and he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup of wine and he gave thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Just in silence. Just prepare your heart now as we take communion together. Jesus broke his body. He shed his blood that you might be with him in the valley and be with him on the mountaintop. So Jesus, by your spirit, refresh us, woo us, draw us deeper into your presence as we receive your body and your blood. Let's take the communion and let's start with the, the gluten-free bread side. Church, this is the body of Christ given for you. 
And now the grape juice side. Family of God, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And so Jesus, as you gave your body to us, so we surrender our lives to you. We consecrate ourselves. We go all in with you. And this week, may our hearts be prepared, cleansed, consecrated, that we might meet you afresh. Take us up the mountain. We hunger and thirst for more of you. As we worship, our prayer team is going to be down the front here. Don't wait for next week. He's here today. And you go, I'm not here next week. Well, maybe this is your mountaintop right here. Because Jesus is always knocking, always here, saying, I want more of you. And I want you to have more of me. So let's worship. Let's come for prayer. Amen. Thanks for joining us for another week. We'd love to connect with you at one of our gatherings or online at vintagechurchla.com.